This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, of course, by the man who this show is named after. He is a resident numbers nerd at Turn On The Jets and, of course, at GangreneNation.com. Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, it's been a little while. How you been, buddy? Yeah, it's good to be uh, good to be back. We've had a lot of action with the draft a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it's, it's great to be back and definitely have been digging into some of the numbers behind the draft pick. So, yeah, definitely great to be back. And, you know, I'm just ready for the season to get here. I know we got a long time, but... Uh, I'm just tired of all this, just the dead time on Twitter. Just nothing going on. It's really kind of uh, just boring out there. So I'm ready for football to finally be back. But Chronicles of Nanny is back this week, and that is a good consolation prize. Yeah, and we got plenty coming up, believe it or not. The rookie meetings are coming. Then you got the mini camps. And then before you know it, training camp will be here, Michael. So it's little baby steps. But in the meantime, we do have an outstanding edition of Chronicles of Nania for you today because, Michael, you wrote a terrific article over at gangrenenation.com. And we'll link to it. I'll put something up on my Twitter. You already put something up on your Twitter, but you can retweet it as well. Your article talks all about the likelihood of the Jets' 2019 draft class succeeding and you went pick by pick so let's start with the first one of course the number three overall pick Quinn and Williams the outstanding defensive lineman from Alabama what did you find on him yeah so I thought to start off with Quinn and Williams I thought it'd be really interesting to look at some of his best traits and compare those to the rest of history and see how guys with similar profiles have panned out so with Quinn and Williams obviously we're talking about a guy who was picked top five is only 21 years old has tons of talent lit up the combine. So a guy who has a lot of really great physical traits to bring to the table along with what he does on tape. So I thought it would be interesting to take a look at some of his best traits and see who else has come out in the near the top of the draft with those similar traits. So we're looking at Quinn Williams and there have only been a few other players to come into the draft and be selected in the top fifteen, weigh in at over two hundred and ninety pounds, run a forty of under four eighty five at age 22 or younger and the other players to do that in addition to Quinn and Williams have been J.J. Watt, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Trent Williams, Mario Williams, and Kevin Williams. So those guys have combined for 28 Pro Bowl appearances and 19 All-Pro appearances. All those guys have made at least two Pro Bowls. So it, it just shows, goes to show that a guy with the athletic profile of Quinn and Williams in addition to the tape that got him drafted near the top of the draft and being only 21 years old it's just a really rare combination that you don't see that often. And the rest of the guys that have come into the draft with a similar profile have tended to be really elite players in this league for a long time. So it definitely is a really specific criteria, but still it's interesting to see uh, some of the other players who have all the same pluses that Williams has and, and see that they've all gone on to have really good careers. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael, worth noting that you mentioned Kevin Williams, the former defensive tackle from the Minnesota Vikings, and Jim Coburn, our data and analytics expert, when he was on the show to profile players before the draft, he talked about how Quinn and Williams profiled similarly to Kevin Williams. Worth remembering that Kevin Williams was selected to five All-Pro teams, went to the Pro Bowl six times. Had 63 career sacks and 90 career quarterback hits. So a guy who really made an impact in that Minnesota defense. I think Quentin Williams has a chance to be even better than him, but that is not a bad measuring stick at all, is it, Michael? Yeah, not at all. You mentioned it. He's been to the Pro Bowl six times, All-Pro uh, all five times, and he came into the league. He had double-digit sacks each of his first two years. Those two seasons turned out to be his career highs for sacks. He had 10.5 in his rookie year. 11 and a half the next year. And those turned out to be his best two totals of his career. But you look at Quinn Williams, I, I do think he has the upside to be a guy who averages about seven, eight sacks a year for his career. But even if he doesn't do that, he could still be a dominant player without the sack totals. And unfortunately, we already have a guy named Williams who doesn't get that many sacks and he gets knocked forward by the fans a little bit. But you look at Kevin Williams, after those first two seasons in which he had uh, 22 sacks over his first two years, he was only averaging about five sacks a year, then dwindled down to about two, three, four sacks per year. But he was still a consistent all-pro and pro bowler because there are a lot more ways to make an impact beyond just the sack column, which captures such a small portion of what's going on. But you do look at Quinn and Williams. I think he is a guy who can be a, a high-sack guy at the defensive tackle position, among the best in the league year in, year out. And uh, you know, maybe he does have more of a curve than a guy like Kevin Williams. Maybe because Williams, you know, he's only 21 years old. He only started one year at Alabama. Maybe there's more of a curve for him. But I, I think that he can come in and be a star right away just because of how dominant he was at Alabama where he was maybe the best player in college football last year. So he definitely can come in and have an impact like Kevin Williams did. So It'll be interesting to see uh, how Williams compares to some of these other stars that he's been linked with. And another interesting fact that I have here uh, as we're talking about Williams and comparing him to other star defensive linemen. So one of uh, Quinn Williams' best combine numbers was his broad jump length. He uh, had a 112-inch broad jump. And obviously weighing in at over 300 pounds, that is a pretty spectacular number. So if we're looking at defensive linemen who've been picked in the top three to get a broad jump of over 112 while weighing in at over 295. The only other two guys to do that have been Mario Williams and Gerald McCoy. And those two guys have combined for 10 Pro Bowls and seven All-Pros. And obviously both of them have been, well, uh, Gerald McCoy still is a pretty dominant player. Mario Williams was pretty dominant in his prime. So uh, Quinn Williams does obviously have the potential to come right in and immediately be one of the best defensive linemen in the league. So Kevin Williams is a great comp. All these other stars that we've mentioned, Gerald McCoy, Mario Williams, all of them are great comps as well. Quinn Williams definitely can come right in and be dominant right off the bat. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Michael, two things I find interesting about your results here. The first is that a lot of people believe that Quentin Williams is not an elite athlete. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ed Oliver is such a ridiculous athlete that they felt compared to Ed Oliver, he wasn't as good. But your numbers seem to indicate that he actually is quite the elite athlete, especially for his size. The other thing here is the probability of him becoming a big star. Your numbers seem to indicate that there's a very strong likelihood of that. Yeah, so from 2000 to 2014, 16 defensive linemen were picked in the top five, and half of them made at least one Pro Bowl. Six have made at least three Pro Bowls. Six have been a first-team All-Pro at least one time, and two of them have been a first-team All-Pro at least three times. And those numbers don't sound too staggering because, you know, we're saying here that half of them will make one Pro Bowl only about a third of them will make three Pro Bowls. Only two of them have been a multi-time first-team All-Pro. So it it doesn't really seem, those numbers don't seem that staggering. But as we'll get into more with some of the later round picks and we as we take a look at the odds of those guys being successful, that's where you're going to see how great these numbers really are. A 50-50 chance of being a Pro Bowler, uh, about a 38% chance of being a three-time Pro Bowler. Those numbers don't really seem that great, but like I said, once we compare to the rest of the later rounds of the class, those numbers are going to look really, really great. So definitely when you look at the defensive linemen who've been picked in the top five, there has been a really, really strong hit rate with those guys. So let's start doing that and comparing it to the other rounds in this draft, starting with pick number 68 in the third round, Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. What'd you find on him? Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting to take a look at uh, look, take a look back at the linebackers who've been taken in the third round and see how often they've been successful. So 74 linebackers have been taken in the third round uh, from 2000 to 2014, and only 59% of them have been a primary starter for even one season. So that just goes to show that, you know, there's only about a 60% chance that the guy you're drafting in the third round as a linebacker is going to be a starter for you even one season. So going down the list, 46% have started for at least two seasons, 39% for at least three, 31% for at least four seasons, and 22% have been a starter for at least five seasons, which is probably the goal that you're going for, a guy who's going to be a long-term starter beyond just his first rookie deal. So only 22% of these linebackers in the third round have been starters for at least five seasons. So it just goes to show that uh, to compare back to Quinn Williams, Quinn Williams, based on you know comparing him to defensive linemen who have been picked near the top of the draft, based on that, Quinn Williams is more likely to become a three-time Pro Bowler than Jakai Polite. Uh, comparing to his uh, the history of his position in that round is to be a five-year starter, uh, not even including Pro Bowl. So definitely goes to show that how good the hit rate is at the top of the draft, even if it's not perfect, it's still really strong compared to the rest of the draft. And looking at the Pro Bowls for round three linebackers, only five linebackers from 2000 to 2014 made even one Pro Bowl. So that's 7% of the 74. And only three have made multiple Pro Bowls, which is 4%. So definitely goes to show that once you get past the top of the draft, past 
the first round, even the top of the second round, that the odds of success really start to drop a little bit. So it, it definitely uh, is interesting to see that. And we're going to, uh, we're obviously going to talk about the rest of the picks later. And it's going to be interesting to see that linebacker is kind of one of the harder positions to hit on in that third round, as we compare to Chuma Doga on the offensive line, who we'll get into next. But the odds of success for a third-round linebacker haven't been that strong, especially relative to, to some of the other positions. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint, unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week, with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The five players that you're referencing that made the Pro Bowl in the third round that were outside rush linebackers, Justin Houston, Cliff Averill, Charles Johnson, Justin Tuck, and Olivier Vernon. Justin Houston is a guy that I think is an interesting comparison to Polite, obviously bigger than he is. But he also dropped for character concerns. In the case of Polite, we know it was that he had a bad workout at the Combine and bad interviews. With Justin Houston, it was the fact that he tested positive for marijuana at the Combine. But both were dominant edge rushers in the SEC in college. So kind of interesting to see Justin Houston's name on this list that you put together, Michael. Yeah, and definitely even from a production standpoint, I think he's a good comparison. So Houston in his first season played all 16 games, but only started 10 of them and only had five and a half sacks, which is a solid number for a situational pass rusher. But I think that's a good uh, comparison for Polite. I don't think the Jets are going to rely on him to start every single game, to play every single snap right off the bat, unless he does earn it, because obviously there's not a lot of competition uh, at the edge spots for the Jets, at the outside linebacker spots. But I think it, it's realistic to expect that he's going to be more of a situational player to start, you know, coming in and passing situations, maybe playing... 50, 60% of the snaps to start. So the four, five, five and a half sack range is kind of where you might expect him to be this year. And then after that is when Justin Houston took off. So in his next three seasons, he had 10, 11, 22 sacks after his rookie year. So I think that is or could be a really comparable arc for Ja'Kai Polite. He's probably not going to play that much this year unless he does have a really hot start or prove that he's clearly a step, of, step ahead of all the other outside linebackers, then maybe he'll elevate to starting role at some point. But I think it's probably most fair to expect him to be a, situ, a situational rusher to start. And then maybe starting next year, he could really start to bust out and become one of the better pass rushers in the league because he does have that upside. So Houston is a really good comparison for a lot of different reasons. So, it, And especially even because he's taken in the third round also. He's the 70th pick in 2011. So Houston's a really good comparison. So I think that if uh, long-term Houston is definitely the ki- a kind of model that you would want to see Polite become. Michael, as you noted, Ja'Kai Polite was not the Jets' only third-round pick. They had another one, Chuma Adoga, the offensive tackle from USC, went with the 92nd overall pick. And as you indicated, offensive linemen generally tend to be more successful when picked in the third round than outside edge rushers. Talk to me a little bit about what you found here. Yeah, so 79 offensive linemen were taken in the third round from 2000 to 2014. And like you said, the odds for offensive linemen in that round have been a lot better than they have been for linebackers. So like I said, for linebackers, 59% of those guys went on to be primary starter for at least one season. And for offensive linemen in the third round, it's been 81%, so significantly higher. 
And as we go down the list, 65% have started for at least two seasons, 58% for at least three, 49% for at least four, and 41% for at least five. So about 20% higher across the board than the linebackers in terms of odds uh, to be a primary starter for a certain amount of seasons. So 41% of those guys being a primary starter for at least five seasons, that's pretty good. You're talking about, you know, about a two in five chance that you're getting a guy who's going to start for you, be maybe beyond his rookie deal. So the odds for third-round offensive linemen have been pretty good, and I think that maybe a reason for that is because offensive linemen aren't too common in the first round. You know, that's a position that isn't as highly valued as quarterback maybe as pass rusher, cornerback, wide receiver. A good offensive linemen do get picked. You know, we've seen them getting take, taken number one, but I think you do see a lot of offensive line talent slip through the cracks a little bit to the second and third rounds, and that could be why their odds are a little bit higher than, you know, maybe the linebackers who see a lot of their best players go early. But I think even with uh, the offensive linemen, uh, someone asked me once if, you know, maybe it was because interior guys were slipping to that third round and because the tackles are going high and the interior talent slipping to the third round is why that the odds look better. And that was a really interesting take. I thought that definitely could be the case. But when I broke it down, it turned out the odds for tackles, centers, guards in the third round were all pretty much the same. So it really just has seemed like the offensive line position has been a really good bet in that third round, regardless of what position on the line that they play. And even the Pro Bowls, 11 offensive linemen taken over that 15-year span have made at least one Pro Bowl. That's 14%, which is double the number for the linebackers. And eight of them, 8% of them have made multiple Pro Bowls, uh, six in total. So it's it's been a really impressive, uh, the offensive line position has been really impressively solid uh, over the past decade or decade and a half or so in terms of really being uh, bringing some production and value out of that third round. And it's interesting for Edoga too, the number 92 slot where he, where he was taken, there's actually a history of some starters in that exact spot of Casey Raybach, 2001 from the Ravens. Just there have been four different guys taken in that slot over that span. All four of them have started at least five seasons as uh, been a primary starter for at least five seasons. So there's some really good history in that 92 slot, which, you know, is could just be merely coincidence. It's just one draft slot. So it's not like you can just compare to that. But just looking at the third round overall offensive lineman, have been a really good bet in that round uh, compared to some of the other positions. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As we move to the Jets' day three picks, we start with their fourth rounder, Trayvon Wesco, the tight end out of West Virginia. And this is where you change the criteria up a little bit. Yeah, so I, I thought as we went into the day three picks that, you know, we're not really expecting, especially with the guys that the Jets picked, we're not really expecting them to be, you know, long-term starters. You know, you're looking at Wesco, who you're hoping is like a blocking tight end. Ideally, he never even actually is a starter for the Jets. Uh, Blake Cashman, probably special teamer. So I thought it'd be interesting to just take a look at, you know, the average longevity of these guys and their chances of playing a long time in the league. So looking at Wesco, 30 tight ends were picked, uh, taken in the fourth round from 2000 to 2014, and those guys have gone on to play an average of about 69 games over 5.6 seasons in the league, so an average of 12 games per season. And so breaking down the, the guys out of that group, some of them have been complete busts. Some of them have been, you know, some pretty good hits. So 12 out of those 30 guys, which is 40%, failed to even play 40 games in the league, but 9 of the 30, which is about 30%, have played at least 80 games. So, you know, this is definitely the part of the draft where, you you start to see some guys who are complete busts who like never even play in the league or only last one or two seasons, but there are also still those guys you know in this round four to five range 
there are also still a good amount of players who do turn out to be really impressive hits, great values for where they were taken. But with Wesco, it's interesting because obviously, you know, like I already said, the Jets want him to be this blocking tight end, you know, a replacement for Eric Tomlinson, a guy who would make an impact as a blocker, not necessarily as a pass catcher. But there's a really good history of blocking tight ends being taken in the fourth round. So in that 2000 to 2014 span, there were seven tight ends taken that played at least 75 games in the league, even while averaging less than two touchdowns per season. So there's been a lot of really good blocking tight ends taken in this round. So it seems like that the Jets taking a blocking tight end in the fourth wasn't is, wasn't really as innovative of an idea as it might have seemed. A lot of teams have done this before and had success with those picks. So, you know, guys like Deion Sims, Levine Toilolo, Clay Harbor, Luke Stocker, Jacob Tammy, a lot of guys have been taken in the fourth round and had successful careers as blocking tight ends. So hopefully Jerron Wesco can follow in the mold of those guys, last with the Jets a long time, and bring a really good impact with his blocking ability and on special teams. There was another blocking tight end that the Jets picked out of West Virginia back in 2000. Unfortunately, he was picked in the first round and produced sort of along the lines of what you were saying a fourth rounder is expected to produce. So if Wesco produces the way that Anthony Beck did, I think we'd all be happy with it. We'd have been much happier with Anthony Beck if he'd have been picked where Wesco was. But as we move along in this draft, Michael, let's get to the fifth round pick. That, of course, Blake Cashman, the linebacker out of Minnesota. What'd you dig up on him? Yeah, so to take a look at the average longevity of linebackers taken in the fifth round, so we'll compare it to the tight ends that we saw in the fourth round. So these linebackers taken in the fifth round over that 15-year span have only averaged to play about 46 games in the league over four seasons. So you compare that to the tight end group we just looked at in the fourth round, those guys were playing about 69 games over about between five and six seasons. So uh, the average amount of games that these guys have played drops about 20 games from round four to round five, obviously looking at different positions, but still a huge drop in production from the fourth round to the fifth round. And to take a look at the linebackers in this round, they've been really boom or bust. There have been a lot more guys who have just completely failed to make an impact in the league. But even in the fifth round with these linebackers, there have been a good amount of guys who've actually gone on to have really long, successful careers, even being picked this late. So of those 72 linebackers taken in the fifth round, from 2000 to 2014, 54% of them, so over half, failed to play even 40 games in the league. But 23 of them, so 32%, uh, actually 32% of them couldn't even hit 16 games. So you're talking about a third of these players couldn't even play one season in the league, which just goes to show the bust rate uh, this late in the draft and why your expectations shouldn't be that high for these guys, just considering that you know there's a 1-3 in three chance they don't even give you a full season. And six of them didn't even play a single game, so... Definitely goes to show the bust rate down there. But in 19 of those 72 linebackers, so 26% uh, twenty-six percent of them, about a quarter, played at least 100 games in the league. So like I was saying, with these linebackers in the fifth round, and it kind of does a carry over into the other positions, the same in the draft as well, the bust rate goes up really, really, really high. You know, like I mentioned, there's a 50-50 chance you don't even get a season out of these guys. But with these linebackers, a quarter of them have played at least 100 games in the league, which is over six seasons worth. So definitely the bust rate is high. But with these linebackers, there have been some hits late in the draft. And one of the best examples is a guy who's going to be a teammate of Cashman's this year, and that's Avery Williamson. He's the 151st pick in 2014 in the fifth round, and he's gone on to have a really good career. And there's some other good examples. Brandon Marshall, 
uh, originally of the Jaguars and went on to have most of his success with the Broncos, to hear Whitehead with the Lions, Telvin Smith with the Jaguars. Those are just a few examples of fifth-round linebackers who are having really successful careers in the NFL right now. And even in the early 2000s, there were a, a few fifth-round successes, Clark Hagen, Scott Fujita, Andre Davis. So there have been a lot of examples of really good fifth-round linebackers. But at the same time, the bust rate has been really, really high. But with Blake Cashman, you're looking at a guy who, you know, ideally doesn't have to get thrown into the starting lineup. I mean, the Jets just gave C.J. Mosley a ridiculous deal, one of the most position-redefining deals in the league. They gave C.J. Mosley, they have Avery Williamson, who they just signed last year. So, you know, hopefully he's just a special teamer. The bust rate is up very high in the fifth round, but also obviously in the sixth round too. And I would imagine the bust rate is even higher when you have a player who has two ACL surgeries on the same knee, and that is the case with Blesson Austin, the cornerback out of Rutgers, who is the Jets' sixth round pick, number 196 overall. What'd you find on him, Michael? Yeah, so with the DBs in the sixth round, obviously at this point the bust rate starts to go way up. 56% of the 109 DBs selected in the sixth round from 2000 to 2014, 56% of them couldn't hit 40 games in the league, 32% couldn't hit 16 games, and 16 never played in a single game. So those bust numbers are actually kind of similar to what we saw at the linebackers in the fifth round when comparing to Cashman. But the thing is with the DBs in the sixth round, the hit rate isn't as high as it was with the linebackers for Blake Cashman. So, you know, like I mentioned, about a quarter of those linebackers have gone on to play about over 100 games in the league. So that is a, actually a pretty strong hit rate, uh, higher than you'd expect that late in the draft. But with the DBs here in the sixth round, you're not really getting that. Only 13 of those DBs, about 12%, have been a primary starter for even one season. So that's only a 12% shot that you're getting a guy who's going to give you one season as a starter. And only four of those guys, so about 4%, have started for at least five seasons. So the bust rate is, in, uh, is about similar to what it is in the fifth round, in the fourth round. But at this point, the odds that you're getting a star or even a starter have gone way, way down, uh, at least with the DB position specifically. But And the, the odd, there aren't really that many great examples of stars in terms of six-round defensive backs. So 2006 Colts pick Antoine Bethea, he was a three-time Pro Bowler as a safety, but he's the only multi-pro, uh, multi-time Pro Bowler at a starting defensive position out of uh, defensive backs taken in the sixth round. Uh, Jeremiah Bell, who was taken by the Dolphins in 2003, he made a Pro Bowl as a safety. Obviously, he played one season with the Jets in 2012, but that those are probably the best two examples out of all the over 100 defensive backs taken in the sixth round over that span uh, in the first decade and a half of this century. So, uh, yeah, at this point in the draft, you're, that's when you really start to take a look back at history and see that the odds are really, really low at this point and that your expectations should be slim to none for these guys taking this late. Michael, those are kind of depressing odds, I'm not going to lie. And you and I are both wrestling fans, and there is an old rule in pro wrestling when you have a big show. You want to send the crowd home happy. So I don't want to end the show on a depressing note like that. Instead, I want to lift the crowd up so that they go home happy, and we're going to do that with the crown jewel of the Jets right now, that, of course, Sam Darnold, so let's talk about him a little bit. You took up two really interesting stats on him that I think are worth looking at, and I think they show a different side of Sam Darnold, one with his arm and one with his legs. Yeah, so I thought it would be really interesting to take a look at, because Sam Darnold had nine touchdown passes of over 20 yards this season, which which seemed really good. It was one of the better numbers in the league. I believe he settled in around 10th or 12th in the league, even missing three games in 20-plus-yard touchdown passes. So 
He threw those nine 20, 20 plus yard touchdown passes in 13 games. That's an average of about 0.7 per game, which as far back as data is available uh, since 1994, that's the highest average of 20 plus yard passing touchdowns thrown per game by a rookie with a minimum of 10 games played. So his ability to produce those big passing touchdowns this season was, you know, pretty unprecedented. No other rookie to play at least 10 games over the past 25 years has thrown as many 20-plus yard touchdowns per game as Sam Darnold did this year. So it was really impressive to see him, you know, especially late in the season, kind of get his arm going more. Uh, we saw flashes early in the season with Robbie Anderson in the Denver game with those two bombs, the bomb in the Detroit game, uh, his first career passing touchdown. But definitely as the season went along, he really started to show just the consistency all over the field, not just the bombs down the field. But uh, with what he did early in the season, and most of these 20-plus yarders were early in the season, uh, I think he had... Uh, two in the Colts game, I think. Obviously, he had two in that Denver game, one in the Detroit game. So he was showing this off early in the season, too, because he actually had most of these in the first half of the season. But still, you look at the body of work over the course of the season. Sam Darnold throws more 20-plus yard passing touchdowns per game than any other rookie has as far back as this information is available starting in 1994. So pretty interesting to see that Sam Darnold was able to do that. It is kind of an obscure stat, but I thought it was definitely... I think it definitely can tell us something that, you know, Sam Darnold does have the ability to be a big play guy because just as I was going through this and checking over all the rookies and how many 20-plus yard touchdowns they've had year over year, it's been really rare to see these rookies towards the top of the league. The only other guy who kind of came close to Sam was uh, in 2017, Deshaun Watson had seven 20-plus yard passing touchdowns, but he only st uh, played in seven games that year. So he didn't meet the qualifier, but he was averaging only uh, about about one 20-plus yard passing touchdown per game, which obviously compared to Darnold is extremely high. But other than Watson, there really hasn't been anyone close to Darnold in terms of rookies throwing that many 20-plus yard passing touchdowns per game. So definitely interesting to see Darnold have such impressive prowess with the 20-plus yard passing touchdowns. And much more impressive prowess with his legs than most people probably realize. Yeah, so Darnold wasn't really an explosive runner. He didn't take off and run that often. He wasn't Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, but he was efficient when he did decide to take off and run with the ball. So 22 quarterbacks last season uh, had at least 20 rushing attempts on the season. Sam Darnold had 32 of them, and he picked up a first down on 16 of those. So 50% of his carries, and also with this information, uh, quarterback kneels are taken out of this, so those don't affect the numbers at all. And for Darnold, he ran the ball 32 times, had picked up 16 first downs on those carries. So he picked up a first down on 50% of his rushing attempts. And of those 22 quarterbacks with at least 20 carries last year, that was the seventh best number in the league. So in the top third among all those quarterbacks with sufficient rushing attempts. And really interesting here, you like to look for these parallels. Sam Darnold's numbers, very similar to a guy who is kind of good in this league, whose name is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so Rodgers averaged about 2.4 rushing attempts per game, 1.3 first downs per game. His first down rate was 53%. And Darnold, 2.5 attempts per game, 1.2 first per game, and a 50% first down rate. So those numbers are pretty close. So I'm not saying that this is set in stone, but uh, I think I'm just going to say it. These numbers kind of prove that Sam Darnold is exactly the same as Aaron Rodgers. You heard it here first. Sam Darnold is an Aaron Rodgers clone. In fact, I think they went into a lab, made an actual younger clone of Aaron Rodgers, and that is how Sam Darnold was produced. Or maybe yep. they just have similar <laughs> traits, one or the other. 
Yeah, one of those. I think, you know, maybe they cloned Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they're both from California. We have to take that into account. So that definitely raises the odds that this theory is true. But also the other theory you mentioned is true. Maybe they just have similar traits. And to go back to these numbers, I think that definitely could be the case because, you know, Sam Darnold's never going to be a great rusher. He's not going to be Josh Allen, who, and speaking of Allen, he uh, picked up 45 rushing first downs last year. That was the most in the league or second most in the league among quarterbacks behind Lamar Jackson, but Sam Donald's never going to be Josh Allen, but he is a guy who's also not going to be Tom Brady either. He's going to, uh, Sam's going to take off and take those yards when they're there. So to see that he's been efficient with those carries, uh, to pick up a first down half the time, he's decided to take off and uh, take off and run with it. That's, that's a pretty good sign. It just really shows that. And you look at some of the quarterbacks at the top of this list, you do have Josh Allen and Blake Bortles up there, but the rest of the guys at the top of the list, in rushing first down rate among quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, uh, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, some really good starters near the top of this list. So it's really good to see that, you know, that even though Donald isn't going to be a dominant rusher, he's not going to have a hundred yard rushing games or pick up three first downs a game. Even though he's not going to do that, it's nice to know that he has it in his arsenal as a last resort, as something that he can efficiently make plays with. And we saw it a bunch of times this season in which the free yards were there and he just decided to take them. And that's what you want to see. A guy who, you know, even if he isn't going to be, like I said, a bunch of times, if even if he's not going to be Josh Allen or Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson, even if he's not going to be that, it's good to know that he is going to be willing to take those yards when they're there. And, you know, it's probably a positive that he's not any of those three guys that I mentioned because, you know, Cam Newton obviously has had his struggles over the past couple seasons kind of declining a little bit. Uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, we don't know how good they're going to be because of their struggles as passers, even though they're, you know, great in the run game. Uh, we don't know how great those guys can be in the league if they don't develop their passing games enough. So it, it, I think it's good that obviously Donald isn't those guys, but the good thing is that, you know, he's not a statue either and that he's proven and these numbers kind of show that he knows when the right time is to take off and run with the ball. I am now going to officially be on the lookout for a cloning lab in California. I think that's the explanation for what Michael has unveiled here today. A lot of great draft information, and of course, we send the crowd home happy with some outstanding Sam Darnold nuggets of information. Michael Nania, thank you so much for joining me on this edition of The Chronicles. It was good to have you back for another outstanding edition. We will do this again next week. In the meantime, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on social media and where they can read your work. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Uh, most of my writing is at Gangry Nation and EliteSportsNewYork.com. So, yeah, it was great to be back for another episode of Chronicles. Hopefully we could, you know, keep kind of lightening up the offseason a little bit over the next few weeks as we wait for training camp to finally get here. But, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, and this was another great episode. Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter. Read his work at Gangrene Nation. And, of course, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, including the Chronicles of Nania, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.